Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the plant sciences, and as always, my friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. Hey, so again, it's been a minute, and I know I've been inconsistent, and I'm sorry. Uh, it's it is it has not been my intent to leave y'all hanging so long this summer. I just, like I said last time, I needed a break, and I've reevaluated the way I want to approach the show and scheduling and a lot of things. And so, uh, through the end of this year, it's 2022. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, uh, content's going to be a little sporadic, a little less regular and i think going into the new year into the year of our lord 2023 that i'm going to go back at least for a while to a every other week release schedule i think that'll give me more time to get everything done and i can be more consistent that way uh and then over time i may increase again if if i can and if not then we'll stay that way and that's okay too but hey y'all today today is november 5th 2022 and is the three year anniversary of me starting this podcast and i just that blows my mind folks it, it really does the fact that this show has grown so much i i honestly didn't know if anyone would ever listen to this i i didn't and when i started i was just like oh you know if if i get 30 people 50 people or something that that like this show and like this information about nature and the environment and the planet, like I'll be happy. I had no idea. And now we're getting pretty close to like 2000 or more people that listen to each episode of the show. And, and, and to all of y'all that are out there listening and, and who are a part of this, I cannot thank you enough. This has been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. I have made some lifelong, wonderful friends through this podcast. I've talked to some of the coolest plant folks and nature folks and and other people around. And it just means the world to me that you are involved in this, that you take part in this, and that you listen every week. So today is actually a replay of my very first episode from three years ago. So this was with my friend Kyle Tangler. We talked about indigenous peoples. We talked about land management. Uh, We talked about just different ways into horticulture and into learning and loving plants and all of that. And it's, it was such a good episode. And, you know, a lot of people, for whatever reason, end up not being proud of their early work. And, and listening back through this today, there are certainly things, most certainly things. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I had no idea what I was doing. But in terms of the content and the conversation and just Kyle's knowledge, I, I, I am still so proud of episode one. So I wanted to play it for you again. Uh, a couple things before we jump into it. There's no mid-roll in this episode, but follow Planthropology all the places. I'm on uh, TikTok as at the Plant Prof, and then I'm Planthropology on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, anywhere else. You can find me. You can go over to PlanthropologyPod.com, find all the old episodes, uh, links to merch and everything else. And uh, if you want to support the show, go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash Planthropology. You can leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Castbox or leave me a rating on Spotify or anywhere else you like to listen. If you have a way to engage with the show, leave a comment, whatever. I would so much appreciate it if you would do that. So, um, y'all, I love you folks so much. And I, I say that, and I, I know how that sounds coming from Mr. Podcast voice in your headphones, but I, I genuinely do. Like I said, I've made some wonderful friends and may, met some of the very best people out there. So, 
Um, thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for putting up with my uh, sort of imperfect and uh, inadequate schedule and release and all of that over the past few months. But um, it means a lot that you're hanging in there. And I can't wait to uh, have more content coming your way next year. I've probably got 20 people I'm waiting to interview. But for now, uh, here's a replay of episode one um, about indigenous peoples, about mesquite trees, and about some pretty good reasons not to eat your friends with my dear old friend, Kyle Tengler. How long have we been friends, Kyle? I want to say, um, well, I started working in the department in 2009. And I think I encountered you maybe like, a year after I started working for the department, I that could say. be because yeah, I started I started my master's in twenty twenty ten, I think. Yeah, so that lines up yeah perfectly. I met you and uh, our mutual friend Becky, yeah, Doctor Becky, Doctor Becky. I think about the same time, so yeah, yeah, and she'll be she'll be a guest sooner or later. Oh, Pro- probably. So I have to be on the same kind of podcast that you do. I'm somebody sorry. like Becky, yeah, someone like her. Okay, so I apologize. <laughs> No, it's perfect. Um, so hopefully at this point you have listened to the intro episode, but the, the point of this podcast is to tell stories about plant people. I'm a plant nerd. You know, I've been a plant nerd for a long time. I'll probably die a plant nerd someday. I will die someday. I mean, probably it's a little early to tell. Yeah. There's still time. Let's not call it yet. <laughs> we won't call it yet. It'll be fine. Um, but where, you know, the goal is to tell the stories of plant people, right? So there's, there's a lot of science podcasts out there and they're all really good, but most of them, I think focus on subject matter. Uh, not maybe not most of them, but a lot of them focus on the subject matter and talk about the science and that's great. But what I'm interested in is to see why people, um, care about the things they care about and, and I got into plant science and, you know, I can tell, I, I told my story on the intro episode and I'm sure it'll come up again, but, um, so we'll start off, just introduce yourself a little bit further. Tell us what you're doing and all of that. Um, I am, like I said, Kyle Tingler. I um, went to Texas Tech here. I had a weird path into plants. I actually like did my undergrad in computer science and mathematics. And um, I, it was actually during my undergrad studying computer science, I like got really, you're, this is going to be really nerdy. You'll uh, you'll appreciate okay. you'll appreciate this. You remember this you know Alton plant podcast. You know Alton Brown, the yeah. you know the uh, good yes. eats guy. He's like one of I I never really besides uh, the French Chef. I never really loved a lot like completely loved a lot of cooking shows. Um, but then Good Eats came and it was like it was so science based and everything. And I never really got into cooking or food generally until I started watching um, his show. And it, he was and I was like you know I was like poor undergraduate student and he's cooking with all these cool ingredients and everything. And I'm like, I don't, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get to there? Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, well, I can grow those things. I can just grow the ingredients since I can't go find a, like a really Castelluto Genovese tomato or something like that. I don't have any idea what you just said. Come on. No, I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? It's a really gnarly, really gnarly tomato okay and if i wanted to cook if i I wanted to work with these more heirloom i mean at the time you have to remember this is 2009 in lubbock texas this is like (laughs) 
pre-Market Street it's, being a real thing, and there was maybe the one on 50th Street. Maybe. And, uh, and it's they, pretty much the Dark Ages. It was, it's, it's crazy how, I mean, I guess now I think about it, that was a decade ago, but <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that we were kind of in the Dark Ages of, you know, going and getting gourmet things and loving it. Oh, well, no, that's absolutely true. And so, uh, you know, I imagine a lot of the, the folks listening are Lubbock locals, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not, you know, we're up here on the High Plains and... And, and Texas. It's, it's blowing up quick here. Like yeah. a lot, there's a lot of modern conveniences here, but those are, are relatively we got recent. A street light. <laughs> no, just, I mean, there's, there's 300,000 people in Lubbock County, so it's not tiny, but it's only yeah. in the last, like you said, 10 years or so that we've kind of gotten the foodie scene and, and mm-hmm. some of these other things that, you know, real cities have. Yeah. Our, our, our uh, culture is catching up to our population. Level, I think that, that's a good way to say that. And, and, but so at the time I didn't have access to those things. So I just like went to the Texas tech library, the university library, and I hadn't taken any courses and anything plant related, never really gardens or anything like that. But I just started reading everything on gardening that I could find. And I just got super into it. And I, like, I wasn't good at gardening. I was really bad at it, which is what, but I was good at learning things. Well, that's, and so, and that's why, you know, when you, people talk about being a, like a brown thumb or whatever, um, that's not, that's not a thing. That's yeah, totally having a brown not. thumb is no, no, I have two of them. That's t- <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the metaphorical brown oh, thumbs. The, the, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll edit that out. And so that's, that's kind of like how I got my foot in the door. I just started gardening and killing plants and then learn how to not kill plants and everything. And so this is funny. My grandmother, I mean, it was mainly because I wanted to learn how to cook good foods on a budget. And so I was doing everything as low budget as possible and everything. And my, my, sweet awesome grandmother she had been walking around the gardens here around 2009 and she saw that they were hiring here for just a greenhouse assistant and so she's like you should go do that you you want to make money while you're an undergrad you should just go work you know work in the in the greenhouse and you'll learn and it'll be fun and and so that's what i did and then once i started working so i started working it with plants before i ever pursued any education okay and plants and uh it was all Uphill or downhill from there? It depends well, on your interpretation. All, it's all about perspective, right? So, yeah, so we're sitting here in my office at the the Tech Greenhouse in, here, in, again, in Lubbock, America. And uh, the background noises I'm sure you'll hear are like carts going down the hallway and, and all those things. And so it's, you know, pretty, it tends to be pretty active around here sometimes, day to day. It can... The peaks are ex- extremely excitable. It's yeah. it gets intense, <laughs> and then it, and then it's then it's cool for a while. Then it chills out. So, um, so you're so right now. So you got your bachelor's and your master's, correct? Yeah, yeah. Eventually, in two thousand and fifteen, I finished my bachelor. I mean, my uh, my master's in horticulture. So yeah, I finished up the computer science degree and everything. But then I just I don't know. I really fell in love with plants and it wasn't so i mean growing plants is is the thing i always tell people like the thing that's so cool about horticulture and gardening and everything related to gardening is it you, it kind of like oozes on to all these other things you get in, in interested in sustainability and then you get interested in soil science and all these other things that aren't necessarily like they're not directly the cultivation of a plant right you get to learn a lot more about you know soil physics and you, you get into all these things and it's such a big a big thing i just uh yeah, it kind of, it, it got me. I got bit by the bug and. Yeah. Well, no, it happens. And like, and I think that's, that's something we'll discuss quite a bit on this podcast is just how variable this industry is, right? Everything from, uh, yeah, the soil to the plate is kind of, you know, that, that's the way I look at it, but you know, it's more than that. Cause we'll talk, I'm sure to like agronomists and people that, uh, you know, wear clothes 
or make clothes or make the things that make clothes. Hopefully I talk to everyone I talk to that comes in here wears clothes. That should be a rule because we're on campus and in public and all those things. Yeah, I guess it depends on the hour that you do. The middle, of, I mean, it's what, 4.02. So this is probably, I guess it depends. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I think everyone will wear clothes. I think I'm going to make that a rule. So um, so now you're pursuing medical school. Uh, yes. how does that, how does that marry up with like the other degrees you've had? Um, yeah, it seems kind of weird, right? Computer science to horticulture and then getting interested in biology and, and medicine. And really they kind of go to me, they, go, they went hand in hand. It was like a natural progression just because the thing that, that really got me into plants originally was food. I liked food. I wanted to be able to cook really well and uh, cook for other people. And there's an entertainment aspect, but I also wanted to just do it for myself. It was like a skill skill acquisition sure, thing. Right. And then once I uh, I started learning more about plants in general, like learning about health and how how diet affects your health and everything, that kind of came into onto the radar and everything. And it's it's really I mean it. It's mind blowing how little me looking back, how little I ever connected. I know it's like a really silly thing as two people in there. I don't know if you, I don't know how old you are now, but I'm, I'm 32. So two people in their thirties, at least I did not really ever really think about diet and health whenever I was an undergrad or anything like right. that. And, uh, it's only more recently I've gotten really into that. And then of course, um, you know, my, the, my excursions during, but before grad school, so before before I started grad school, between um, the horticulture degree and the and the computer science degree, I went to Australia to pursue a certification in permaculture design. Yeah, I remember that. And because uh, I was, you know, really into sustainable design, how do we how do we live on this planet in a way that's just not going to completely trash it? <laughs> We're doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's, it's a there's a well lot so of a lot of challenges in there. <laughs> And, uh, but then, you know, I got, that gets into, in studying permaculture, a lot of permaculture itself was looking at old societies. There's not, there's almost, well, there's really no new ideas in permaculture. Hmm. And that's the, that's the whole idea. It's like, we don't need to know. There's the reason we have problems in the world is not because of a lack of information. Right. It's, that's never the problem. It's application. Are you doing the things we know how to do? Everything we need to do, we know how to do. So that's kind of what drew me to permaculture is like, you're looking at all kind of a catalog of all the tools that all these other societies, these older ancestral societies and tribal groups and whatnot, the tools that they developed to stay in their environments and thrive along with their environment instead of like, you know, destroying their environment or degrading it. Right. And so that, that's, I did that. And then, of course, um, during my master's degree, I went to do stuff in Kenya. And, of course, there, the idea was, like, to grow food, to teach people how to grow food, who if they didn't get food, they were going to die. That's so, yeah, kind of a big deal. Yeah, like, whenever I'm just gardening in my backyard as a, as a you know, as a under, undergrad and everything, it's just fun. Right. But then you're confronted with, like, this is, it gets, it gets serious. Yeah. And uh, at, at that point, this is not, like, for funsies. <laughs> like <laughs> There, yeah, there there are people that you know I met on those trips that are not going to be there now. Right, it's it's, so it 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 really like hammered home the impact of uh, food and health, and then you see what these people are doing in terms of their diet and so on and so forth. The other other lifestyle things that that are going on too, and how it's affecting their health, and it really starts kind of like get the gears turning. You start really thinking about like not only how does how does a, a horticulture and agriculture affect human health, but how does 
anthropology, how, how, how did the way that we've evolved with culture and throughout society and in the context of our environments, how did that inform the way that we interact with the world now and how does that affect our health? And, uh, and also like it gets even more complicated because when, you know, I was always interested in the culture of plants and the soil and sustainability. And, you know, then you start really, as you get older, you start really getting to like the political side. Like what are the, there's so much, so much of this, that's policy driven. And so it, that's like you were saying this, this goes everywhere, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's very few topics untouched whenever you, it, whenever you explore uh, plant culture. Well, and, 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 you know, I, I'm glad you said the word anthropology because this, you know, this podcast is called Planthropology and, and the name for that. And actually the idea for that came because we were one day up at the greenhouse, but it probably was six months ago. I don't, yeah, I don't know correct. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talking about mesquite trees, which are depending on who you ask a native tree in our area or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, then we started to skin one. I don't, I don't want to, I can never let this pass. Every time somebody starts talking about this, oh, yeah. the conversation halts and we can't move on. No, no, and we're, no, we're going to talk about it because it, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. And that gave me that. Cause you know, we talked for a while and at the, you know, we, at the end of the conversation, I was like, man, this would make a great podcast. Like I think people would love to, to hear about this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, so, you know, I just started thinking about it. And so here we are. And that's kind of where the, the name came from is like, you know, there's, we have this long-term historical anthropological connection to the natural world around us. So the plants Mm -hmm. around us and, and, you know, you talk to a lot of people, um, you know, we teach this intro horticulture class here with 400 non-majors, you know, Mm -hmm. not all of them, but a lot of them are like, Oh, it's just plants, right? It's just, but they're the basis for our entire ecosystem, the entire, everything we eat, everything we do. Yeah, even if you don't eat any plants, you can't survive without plants. No, exactly. There's the, nothing you can do without plants. They are the bottom end of our ecosystem, right? They're mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. base of our Producers. food chain. And that exactly. should be that should be like the basic that's like the basic biology stuff like you, you know they're the producers and then everything yeah. else is sitting on top of that so yeah yeah that's so, every aspect of life so mesquite let's let's talk about mesquite so if you were to talk if you come to lubbock texas and you talk to most people and you go out and you drive around and look at mesquite trees they'll say oh they weren't they're not native they came up with the cattle drives you know four or five hundred years ago blah 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 you know we're a medium to short grass prairie here mm-hmm. um but from your research and your knowledge, you, you have a different opinion on that. Oh, completely. In fact, I would even, um, cast a little bit of, of doubt. I don't want to say a, a complete doubt on the short grass okay. prairie idea. And, uh, that's only from, you know, just digging into historical accounts of the area. And, and I think, I think this is the, the issue that I have as, as much of a native plant lover as, you know that I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, Seriously. And Vikram and, uh, and I have both been involved with very, very passionately and deeply with native plants. As much as I'm into that stuff, I'm not a nativist. Right. I'm not one of those. I'm not a zealot when it comes to... <laughs> Zealot's a good word. Because, um, you know, it really is. It's become like almost an ideology for some people where if it's non-native, it cannot be in the landscape and it must be destroyed. Right. And whenever you start digging into it, like, well, what's native? And it's completely arbitrary. Um, you, it's, if it was here the day before, let's say Columbus and we can, you know, we can argue about Columbus. <laughs> he was lost, whatever. It so happened. let's say, and you know, let's assume, which is not true that Columbus was the first person to come to the Americas. Sure. Okay. Of course not true, but let's say that that's, that's the case. And that's what we're going to base our assumption about what is native or not. This, they say if it was, if it was here the day before Columbus arrived, then it's native. Hmm. But if it came a day after they came, they arrived, then it's non-native. If a bird was en route before 
he left, but then it deposited seeds from another another uh, an island somewhere or something like that onto the Americas after uh, the landing of Columbus. And a lot of people would consider that non-native. Huh. But that's that's arbitrary. Right. That's and and also like you're there. There's this big assumption. Um, the the Ano Estacado is a perfect example where we're at now. Um, all all these early accounts describe it as this like endless plain of grass, endless sea, featureless sea of grass, right? Sure. Um, and they say, oh well, this is the pristine native landscape, as if there were no people here, right? They know exactly, like as yeah, if this was exactly. like oh, and it's it's actually a little condescending, as if these people had no impact on the land, as if they weren't managing the land. Sure. We know that there was Native Americans had their own uh, agriculture. And land management practices, and they just had a different tool set. They didn't have tractors. They didn't have barbed wire fences. They had fire. They had right, exactly. handmade tools and stuff like that. that. Those are the tools that they had. This is a managed landscape. And sure, whenever they, you know, the first explorers came across the Ano Estacado, there's no doubt in my mind that it was uh, a tree was far, <laughs> the trees were far and few between. And it would make sense if it's a managed lands- landscape, it's managed with fire. That's how, if you're primary, so like the, what is it? The Teos, Te, Teia, is it Teia? Te, uh, I don't know. The Native Americans, I, that, yeah. the, I think it's T-E-Y-A-S. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. The, you know, one, one, of course, this is a nexus of, of lots of uh, Native American communities because it's a trading center. Um, but those were the, that was the population that lived here. And if you look at most of these Native American cultures, if you look at the composition of their diet, it's primarily bison. It was right, yeah. and, and another game, like 85, depending on, you know, on which area you're looking at in the United States, because of course the climate varies so much, but you know, anywhere from 85 to maybe 90% of the diet is coming from bison alone. And there's no cultivatable crops. There's no butternut squash. There's where are the high, <laughs> yeah, where are the high calorie plants that they're going to be eating? There's it's, so few yeah. native, uh, high calorie plants. Right. And while you know people further people's further west, they're going to be cultivating corn and stuff like that. That wasn't happening on the Ano Estacado, as far as we can find evidence for. Um, so they were managing grasslands to try and maximize uh, bison and also control the movement of the bison. So would you, whenever you don't have fences, um, whenever you don't even have you know at, at the time they didn't have horses, there was a, a native horse, but sure. of course it was uh, the native one had, had been extinct for a long time at that point. So. Um, they didn't. They couldn't round up, uh, you know, right, bison no, right. with European horses because they didn't have European right. horses. It was so a thing. It was managed with with fire, and uh, so of course, like whenever you manage with fire, it's gonna burn things that burn. And so you yeah. see, uh, you know, those early accounts, they find all these woody species really concentrated on the edges of the canyon of the cap rock and everything, which makes perfect sense. Those are protected little areas. They're they're uh, out of the way, and it's yeah. the same whenever whenever we're doing. Whenever, uh, and I'm sure that you remember going on uh, plant hunts. Oh, yeah. Going to look for, oh, for yeah. wildflowers and stuff like that. Where are good places to look? The places where the where the uh, mowers can't get. It's not, exactly. that, it's not that they the plants lo- just love to grow on those caliche rock sides or hillsides. No, that's just it's, where they can grow. That's where they're allowed to grow because you can't mow those. Right, right. And it's and, the same with like the mes- mesquite and hackberry and stuff like that. Well, no, that. that's really interesting. And then like, you know, because we control fire, right? We don't we build houses and roads and all these things. Mm-hmm. And so we, we typically think, you know, fire bad, but, mm-hmm. but, but as part of an ecosystem, it's, it's not, and it is a, it is a viable and manage, you know, 
management tool of, of land. Yeah. And, and, and like, this is, I don't want to get too, because the fire ecology is such a huge topic. And yeah. I think it's, uh, it's one that really needs to be explored. And I think to me, I have a lot of, I would say controversial opinions oh, about, I'm sure you do. about fire ecology, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is a tool. It's a low, uh, technology tool. It is technology, but you don't need really advanced machinery to use fire to control a landscape. Yeah. And, and you're like, like you said, our, our ability to control, uh, natural fires, of course, have really changed the face of the West. For and, sure. And uh, but that's you know that's a whole other. We can get into that if you want. That's to. well, that's a whole other discussion too. <laughs> but yeah, Whoa. if you go like here at Lubbock Lake Landmark, they've got um, the fossil record goes back, I believe, to thirteen thousand years. There. I think that's right. Yeah, and that was one of the things me and you were talking about. I mean, you go, I mean, the idea that Prosopis uh, glandulosa is an introduced species from further south is a is a, that's a hypothesis. Sure, and it's. It's reasonable, except that whenever you talk to the anthropologists there, they say that there's uh, evidence of mesquite here as far back as they as the fossil record goes. Now, does that mean that they were growing here? But uh, maybe. Um, right. But also, if this is a trade center, you know, the mesquite beans were used yeah. as a like you know more. I would I would say probably more of a famine food because it's not as a, as a complete of a food as something like bison sure is. But if you don't have bison. You're going to eat what you can, and that's a that's a good source. And of course, mesquite provides uh, fuel for fire and stuff like that. Well, too. yeah, so and, you know, the, building and the, materials. The seeds are a protein source. They're not, you know, again, they're not like bison, but it can be ground into flour and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and and just for for context, if you're not familiar, you know, for if you're listening and not familiar with this area, we live up on top of this big mesa that we call the Ano Estacado. It's a big cap rock that runs about 260 miles north to south and drops off like at a pretty steady rate of about like one, 1% or less. Like it's very, very flat. Uh, also runs, you know, not quite as wide, but you know, east to west, uh, into New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then you get it to the edge of the cap rock and it just instantly drops about a thousand feet. Yeah. We're, we're kind of like a weird place in Texas because most of Texas is not at 3,300 feet. No, right. We actually so. are pretty high. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you look at the landforms, there's some theories that this used to be a vast inland sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this big landform that we're on was the coastal area of this big inland sea, right? So if you look at some of the landforms off the side of the Caprock, there's lots of undulation. There's lots of rolls in the side of the mountains where some of that, it could be streams, but some of that could be tidal flow and things like that. So, mm-hmm. and then they, there's things like they've found seashells, you know, ancient seashells and fossilized seashells and stuff in the landforms and you know, talking about the Lubbock Lake landmark, it's a it's an active dig site where they mm-hmm. dig for mammoth fossils and other fossil records. And yeah, they found um, I believe Scott out there was telling me they found like root material, fossilized root material and beans and other parts of the, the mesquite tree that, yeah, that dated more than 10,000 years or, or close to 10,000 years or something like that. So it is interesting to think about like. And, and you know, that that's a really interesting topic because, uh, you know, climate change is a big topic right now and everybody's talking about climate change but one thing that um we really need to appreciate because right now when we think about anthropogenic climate change we're, we're thinking about fossil fuels and stuff like that but right there are other we 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 sculpted together with the cha- changing climate over the eons well not we but you know yeah, native, sure. generations of native americans because they were they were uh, managing that landscape and so that's going to going to affect the the you know the biodiversity and everything and and uh and the hot spots and everything. That, sure. Yeah. Uh, of anyways. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, but absolutely like there's, and you know, this, uh, I, I'm going to have you back on for sure. Cause there's a lot to discuss, but like, I just think it's interesting that we, 
I mean, a lot of, I don't know, do you, how much of the way that we approach the natural sciences is based in hubris? Oh, That's I mean, a big question, right? <laughs> that, that depends on who you talk to, but uh, a lot of it for yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> and uh, like, I, I don't think people really appreciate, well, you know, a geneticist might, and a lot of biologists might really appreciate the, just the elegance of how biology works. It's just so everything fits to and all the way, the, the scale doesn't matter on the cellular letter, level, all the way up to ecosystem level. The intricacy is so fascinating. And then we do things like, uh, introduce Opuntia cactus to Australia and then it spreads everywhere. And we're like, Oh, right. And then, maybe. Ca- and then cane toads. And- yeah. Cane toads, jackrabbits, <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It's everybody's crops. And yeah, that's, uh, we're, we're a little short set. That's, you know, I like to throw in a little plug this is another controversial, controversial person, but, uh, Alan Savory, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he is very, I guess he, he's not divisive, but people, turn his message into a divisive message. His whole idea is that we should manage resources regardless of what they are holistically. Hmm. And, um, and his whole, whenever he's looking at his primary uh, interest is desertification, which of course has um, a a tie in. There's a feedback between desertification and climate change and they they feed back into each other, of course. And uh, his, his whole take is like the main thing that causes desertification is just decision-making how we make decisions. And, uh, Whenever you're looking at really complex systems, humans are categorically terrible <laughs> at making decisions for complex systems I, because we always we always reduce things so much. And the thing is, some systems can't be reduced. Right. Um, you have to really take in the full complexity of those things. And if you just try and boil it down to a few factors, it gets complicated. Which is why his his whole his his textbook and everything it's basically all about decision making and how it's do really we make decisions in, in complex environments and he actually like uses um a lot of the methods that militaries have used over the past because you look at think about it they're they're trying to win some mission or accomplish some mission it's a it's it's complicated there's lots of moving parts and uh, so you kind of use that as a model for how you approach that so hmm. you know that's that's a i don't know how i got it, no, I, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't about, even matter no, but no. I, I oh, the hubris thing. The hubris, hubris thing. Right. Like, it, yeah. Whenever you simplify something and says, "Oh, there's this problem. Let me introduce this this uh, this animal or this organism to this environment," and of course, it, you know, rarely goes very well. No. Um, Saying like, "I know how to fix it. This is but, how you fix it." But that comes back into the to the like the argument about you know the whole nativist thing. Right now, um, Salix there. Salix has been introduced yeah. to Australia, and there is a lot of the nat- native uh, nativists there. There's a lot of people really up in arms about it. They want it eradicated. But if you have an eroding stream stream bank or something like that, it's it's you'd be hard pressed to find a faster growing plant that's going to anchor that stream bank super quickly, super cheaply, really easily. And so the utility of it is there. And so like where do you is that appropriate? You know, they, that's I think that's real, and that's when you have to get into the, like the the complex decision making stuff. Is this an appropriate tool to use? Personally, I think it's probably a good tool. Yeah, it sounds right, like it. So, Salix is a uh, uh, willow, correct? Yes, the, the willow genus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you know, I think that's interesting, and I think that uh, you know, I, I purposefully didn't come into this with much of a plan, and I because I just I enjoy like personally conversations like this that go where they go, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it's more, I don't know, it's more organic. It kind of drives the way I think it needs to, and um, but I think the the and you know, we'll just we'll just do a few more minutes and kind of wrap up, but, um, kind of goes fast, but, uh, the, the ethics of the way that we manage the landscape 
And, you know, and, and so, you know, you were talking about earlier to kind of bring it back a little bit, uh, how you were, you originally got passionate about this or got into this whole green industry, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, you know, from computer science, because you wanted to be able to grow your own food. Right. And so like, and, and whenever you like, whenever you get really into gardening, you really learn it's like, it's, a, it's a, it's the practice of transformation. That's yeah. what it is. And yeah. there's something really like, uh, invigorating about that as a oh, concept. Yeah. Well, and, and like, and then you start to talk about like, you know, and this is a, another discussion we won't get too far into, but you know, the ethics and the, the uh, whole concept of growing your own food and growing local foods. And, you know, I'm very involved in our local food markets here. Like that's a big thing I do, but then, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there in the big round soggy planet that we have that, <laughs> that, you know, don't necessarily have the. I don't know. I don't know what the right way to say it though. Is like the the luxury to grow food in the way that we do necessarily. We're like oh, oh in the way yeah. If you're looking at like the industrial scale that we're able to grow grow food at, and you're looking at the efficiency, that's a thing that is it's such that's a, such an interesting interesting topic. There's a lot of uh, things that we could poo poo about modern uh, industrial agriculture, sure, yeah, or even just you know taking modern industrial tools and even applying it to small scale because i mean think about how much easier a small scale vegetable farm would be if you have a like a little push tractor or something oh, yeah, like that yeah. that integrating like modern technologies into even smaller scale stuff makes things infinitely more efficient right. in terms of of time and money and that's things that we uh, we probably maybe some people don't fully appreciate there's there are groups of people out there really passionate environmentalists out there and i would consider myself a very passionate environment passionate environmentalist yeah but at the same time like these are people who it's hard for them to understand like that they're going to whole foods (laughs) and getting (laughs) these these foods that are are a product of the efficiencies that we have now and everything and at the same time you know some people want to demonize agriculture and i I certainly have been guilty of that myself but i think it really takes a critical eye to say like what is what should we doing should we be doing and what shouldn't we be doing and uh it, it is to appreciate the efficiency that uh western agriculture has attained is it's pretty it's awesome it's incredible well and you know and i think of it this way that like i can you know personally i'm at a point in my life where if i want to go to the farmer's market or Mm -hmm. and and pay four bucks a pound for tomatoes that i know where they've grown i've seen the farm all of that i i can do it Mm -hmm. but on a global scale that may not be a thing even on a local and national scale yeah and and that's a that's a really good point because i actually think that in like Western communities, it's the rural places in Western places that are probably the least um, capable of doing some of those sure, things, yeah. which kind of seems counterintuitive because if you go into um, a, a less developed world, growing your own food is not that big a deal, even, no matter how rural you are. In fact, the more rural, rural you are, the more likely you are that yeah. you're probably going to do it. And that's, there's a lot of like policy and even like a, a national or like, I want to say like a, there's national behavior or western behavior things right yeah uh, just you know, a cultural get, thing yeah yeah definitely cultural aspects of some of some of that too that that's a really good point not everybody has access to a farmer's market necessarily or let's say um you want to talk i think grass-fed beef is awesome oh yeah super awesome now do i think that most people can afford or even have access to grass-fed beef absolutely not no. absolutely not so we have to keep that stuff in mind whenever talking about human health and, and, that, and that, I think that's where things seemingly get complicated, but there, there are a lot of ways to, to, to simplify that. Like we have a, a, a diabetes epidemic 
Sure. And not just, uh, you know, I think, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a, a developer developed or developing nation that doesn't have a huge problem with diabetes. And it's something that costs so much money in uh, terms of like just the public medical costs yeah. and everything. Yeah. And of course, what, what is that? It's mostly not a hundred percent. I'm speaking primarily like uh, of type two diabetes, primarily what we eat. Sure. It's the most basic of human behaviors. And the thing that we're, that we have to do to survive is, is, killing and causing all kinds of secondary illnesses and stuff and all these people. And that's, you know, I think people in horticulture have a huge um, capacity to help with that kind of thing. Cause it's the, the things people aren't getting diabetic. People, people aren't getting diabetic eating kale salads and, uh, and carrots and stuff <laughs> I, I try, like that. Yeah, I try not it's, to eat many kale salads, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Me neither. As yeah. you well know, oh, that's true. Um, yeah, I'm not, 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 uh, not a plant eater really. Yeah. Anymore. I'm a, I'm a lover of plants. I don't, I always, I have ever since I, uh, Bill Mollison, the founder of the permaculture movement, he did this documentary forever ago. One of the things he said at the end, he was talking about keeping chickens and he said, you don't eat your friends talking about lay, laying chickens. You eat meat chickens, but you don't, you don't eat, eat your, your friends. friends. And so that's one of my things that plants are my friends. I don't eat my friends. It's probably a good rule of thumb and like yeah, you shouldn't eat a your lot friends. of aspects in life. Like, <laughs> it's surprising how far you can go socially by just not eating your friends. It's really true. You just eat one friend and you, your reputation is all shot. Down, yeah. You just eat one person. I know. No, no forgiveness. I don't know how we got here. It's okay. <laughs> well, it, we've done about 30 33 34 minutes so we'll probably start wrapping up but um no i just I, I enjoyed this conversation i think it was just an interesting like look into uh just a whole a whole lot of different things yeah we just kind of shotgun it, that's okay whole, it's episode one that's that's how it's gonna go and we'll, that's you know, good we get a widespread and then later on in the we'll future start, we can kind of narrow in we'll narrow it down yeah and so um you know we'll uh, I'll, I'll be interviewing a a wide variety of plant people but I would like to maybe have you back on a few times and pick one of these like topics we shotgun today and maybe deep dive a little bit more and absolutely I'll, I'll do more of my own research. Maybe. Yeah. Sounds great. I should. Let's do it. So anyway, uh, thanks Kyle for being here. Is there anything you want to plug any, like, do you want people to be able to find you online or, uh, no, or would I'm you trying, rather hide? That's, that's the thing I've learned. The more anonymous I am, the less you get in trouble for stuff. So I can say I can get away with more stuff. Okay. So Kyle does not exist on the internet. Just Google me. I'm hard not to find. That's actually. true. He Kyle, a, Kyle Tingler. Just look for the beard. Look for the, <laughs> the beard. Look for the beard. Um, we'll see how long it is by the time this gets out. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.